with the word tonight. Thank you, Brother Tierney. Praise the Lord, everybody. Can you imagine a 300-voice choir that would fill this church right here? That's going to be a great time. I don't think you want to miss it. What were the dates again? June 2, 3, and 4. 2, 3, and 4. June. This year. You all got that? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Tonight I'm standing in for the pastor. We miss him. I especially miss him on nights like tonight. But he has, he and his father have been given an invitation by Brother David Bernard, the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, to attend uh, the dedication of the new headquarters in St. Louis. So they are uh, taking, taking uh, their time there tonight and tomorrow, and he will be here for the weekend. But tonight I want to speak to you from my heart. Uh, I, I have a subject that pastor asked me to teach. I know we've just come off of four weeks of the enemies of the heart. We had a leadership seminar two weeks ago, and uh, I began to prepare for that in January. And when Brother Urshan started the series of the enemies of the heart, I was so enthused, he said, we are going to talk about the four, and I'm writing them down here on the front row, four enemies, and then he said, the heart. I went, wait a minute, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> so I went and talked to him. I said, look, you know, one of my special uh, lessons that I have taught down through the years is the second man ministry. And one of the axioms of the second man ministry is you don't pick a topic that the pastor is working on to try and make him maybe not look so good. And so I said, I beg your pardon, sir. I can go ahead and get another, I can get another subject. He said, no, 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 no. This is just fine. And when he introduced me to the leadership seminar, he, uh, he scotched for me. So I have his permission to continue on. And that was a great series, wasn't it? It was an excellent series. And then last week we had on envy and jealousy. I was kind of jealous of all that, but you did an excellent job, Brother Tierney. Amen. Tonight I, I have entitled this, Guard Your Heart. How many have a heart? You've got a physical heart. Is it beating? Are you sure? Well... The word heart is used in the Bible in a spiritual sense, and we want to take a look at the, at the word of God tonight. And uh, we'll look at Proverbs, uh, the fourth chapter. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to read along with me, because I don't think we realize how important uh, to keep our heart pure and clean and full of the right things. Because if you don't, you end up in trouble. You have a heart problem. 
But the, the, the scriptures, when you would go through and you would mark the different passages where the heart is referenced, you will run out of red ink because almost on every page of the Bible, in some pages two or three times, there are references to the heart. Not just the physical heart, but also your heart, your spiritual heart. So let's look. Oh, thank you. We got lights again. Don't turn them out too much. This may go on all night. In Proverbs 4, uh, in verse 20, I'll begin. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine heart unto my sayings. Everybody say sayings. Also say words. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. And keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth, perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before you. And ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. And turn not to the right hand or nor to the left, and remove your foot from evil. And I like to focus on the 23rd verse. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It kind of points out the important position of the spiritual heart in your body and in your life. The word heart, really, in the Bible is used to stand for your thinking, your, your mental faculties, and all of the activities that concern uh, the morality and God's law in your life. It includes even the rational part. It includes the emotional part. When you talk about the word heart, all of that is encompassed in that particular word called heart. And to really to be a spiritual person in the house of God and in the work of God and in the kingdom of God, we have to guard against the evil influences. And how many know that we got evil influences out there today? We have to guard against those because they will contaminate the inner man or the inner life. And, of course, you will not be ready to meet the Lord when he comes. And so we have to guard our hearts. We've got to put good things into the spiritual inner man, like the Word of God. It's nice to be able to turn to the Word of God when you, when you have situations that you don't know the answer to. You can turn to the Word of God. There's comfort there, and there's also direction there. And God speaks to us through His Word and puts good things into us and makes us be able to stand against the evil age in which we live. You know, thank God, that he gives us the Holy Ghost and the empowerment to be able to stand in this day. And uh, it might be good before we discuss the spiritual aspect of the heart is maybe look at 
the physical human heart because I think we all have a heart here tonight. Is it ticking? Well, I hope so. Uh, after I had heart surgery, by the way, and I have become a member of a peer-to-peer -peer support group for uh, heart surgery uh, patients, and I meet with the families while they're in uh, surgery, and many times they are full of fear. They don't know what's going to happen, and of course they only think the worst possible things. Well, having been there, I stand before them as one who has come through it, and I can give them encouragement and give them good things to think about. And then I, I meet these folks uh, while they're recovering. And uh, many times in recovery, they're there for uh, anywhere from five to eight days while they recover from the strenuous surgery of their heart. And uh, I have found that when you encourage people with good things, it does something to their heart, to their mental capacities. And we try to put good things into them and uh, just standing there alive and when they find out I've had the bypass surgery as well, uh, you can see that hope kind of <laughs> comes into their thinking. In fact, I was asked by one couple, they said, well, how many years ago did you have your heart surgery? And at that time, I kind of figured it out, and I said, how about 11 months ago? 11 months? And you're like this? I said, you can be the same way if you do all the right things and put the right things in your body for your heart. And so it's been, it's been a real blessing for me to be a part of the, the Minton Hearts. And uh, going there to this hospital, I'm able to see my heart surgeon. We've struck up a good uh, a friendship during the last year or so. Might as well be friends with him. He had me all the way open, had his hands inside of me. He, he, you got to like a guy like that, you know. He's the guy who cut me open and sewed me back up. <laughs> and so what I'd like to do is, is just look at a person that is having a heart surgery. Want to go to the hospital with me? Want to see a heart surgery? All right, well, then let's go. Uh, let's go to the first slide. This is the physician's parking lot, and, and I don't park there, by the way. But this guy in this SUV parks here every day. I haven't met him, but I'm kind of curious because he is a doctor. When I walked around to the front of his vehicle, next slide, that was his license plate. Grateful, and the thing that came to my mind was dead, the Grateful Dead. <laughs> That's a musical group. If that is what that really stands for, he's got a real sense of humor. <laughs> Unless you're a heart patient going into that hospital. Maybe it's Grateful Doctor. I would hope that's what, that's what it would be. But I, I have no idea. But it's not very encouraging. But let me, take you, <laughs> let me take you into the operating room. Next slide. As you can see, uh, I'm standing over by the operating table. This is only half of the room. And uh, as you see, everything is laid out in perfectly uh, order. They know where everything is. It's on a list. 
they have to keep track of everything. Every time the doctor puts his hand out for an instrument, there is a recording nurse who writes that down. And uh, when, they get to, when they get ready to sew the patient back up, they check off all this stuff to make sure it ends up back on the table and not in the, not in the patient. And uh, while they were operating that day, there was one thing they couldn't find, and they became very concerned because it was a small, a small tool. Fortunately, they had covered it up, and they all, uh, they all uh, were very happy when they finally found it. But notice it's neat. It's early. Every tool, every scalp, scalpel is accounted for in that, in that room. In fact, that clipboard right there is where the recording nurse checks things off and lets, lets the doctor know where all these things are. The next slide, Dr. Harris is the anesthesiologist. You can't see all the equipment that he has around him, but he is surrounded by a bank of uh, instruments that uh, it doesn't control just the anesthesiology. He's not just in pain management, but he controls all of the functions of the body while that body is being operated on. And most of these operations are five to six hours long. And so he does not take any breaks. He is right there monitoring everything that goes on, all the life systems. And uh, the next slide actually is, is, it's not a good slide, but it's, she is the profusionist. She is the one that controls uh, the heart-lung machine, in which that is in front of her, when they operate on a heart, they have to stop the heart from beating. And so what actually happens is they put the heart in cardiac arrest. Now, under normal conditions, the cardiac arrest uh, will be fatal. But here is a controlled <laughs> cardiac arrest. And what actually happens is that the blood from the body and from the heart is bypassed the heart and sent through this machine. The machine cleans the blood, takes the carbon dioxide out, reoxygenates the, the blood, and sends it back into the body. And it actually beats for, the, for, the, uh, for your heart and also does the breathing. And, uh, the way they bypass it is that they put a clamp on the aorta, and that causes, when, when that clamp is put on, the heart ceases to beat. And it was very interesting to me to watch them put the clamp on and watch the heart quit beating and then watch the lungs begin to deflate, and then they switched over the, the functions of the heart to the cardiopulmonary bypass, it's called, and that machine becomes the heart and the lungs. I was, they clamped my aorta, and I was on that for 82 minutes. In that m amount of time, I was a, a robot. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that when they unclamped my aorta and the blood went back to the heart, when the blood flowed into the heart, that's when the heart began to beat. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And next slide, 
Khashoggi, my doctor. He is adjusting the computer so that he could throw the operation right up on a huge screen, and then he put his, put his computer over here where I could see it. But then I actually stood at the head of the patient and looked over where he and his assistant were operating, and I was about two and a half feet from the actual source of the operation. I was talking to him one day, and I said, you know, I've been in a surgery, but I wasn't awake uh, and aware enough to, to know what was going on. I said, you know, it'd be nice to be able to observe a heart surgery. How many have ever done a heart surgery? You've seen one. Well, you, now you know how I felt. And so he said, well, you show up here at 730, and we'll get you in some scrubs, and we'll take you in, and you can stand there, and you can watch. And so I said, okay. So the next slide, after we got everything going, uh, as you can see, I was pretty close to where he was operating on. And uh, at this particular point, when I took that, they were already two and a half hours into the operation. Uh, the actual, from when they opened the heart and, or rather, the, opened the body and parted uh, the chest and exposed the heart. And uh, this particular surgery that day took almost five and a half total hours. The next slide is the gal that keeps track of everything. Go to the next slide. The next slide, I took a, a selfie of myself. <laughs> Dr. Kildare. <laughs> the first selfie I've ever taken of myself, so I can join the club. But I had to go in and I had to put all the stuff on, scrub up and, and, and so for about five hours, I looked like a doctor. And, uh, but it was an amazing thing to see a person's heart, to see it beating and pumping blood through the body and the lungs were transferring uh, the air through the, through the lungs. But then the amazing thing was is when they did the clamp and switched over to the, to the heart lung machine, and when they did, I turned around, and next slide, I looked at the monitor, the heart monitor. Normally, you, you see all these kind of marks because it, it shows the heartbeat and what's taking place, the heart rhythm. But this is when it's straight line. In other words, the heart is dead. See all those colored lines there? Now, to me, that was an amazing thing to see somebody's heart straight line. You don't want to have a straight line heart. But the amazing thing was is that when they finally allowed the blood to go back to the heart, when the blood hit the heart, the heart began to beat. That will preach. The blood of Jesus gives us life. When he touches us and you apply the blood of Jesus to your life. Amen. And you know, it took man a long time to figure out that the life was in the blood. In fact, in 1648 in England, there was a, a surgeon named William, William Harvey. 
And uh, he found in the he found through experimentation that there was that there is life in the blood. Well, this was way back in Leviticus. It's all, it was already listed and recorded in the book of uh, Leviticus that the life is in the blood. If these guys had just read the Bible, they could have known that way back when. But it took an English uh, coronary doctor to try to figure that out. But I'm, I'm happy that uh, I was able to go through this and I was able to, to live, and I'm 100% healed today. What I had was a quadruple bypass, and what, what this is is that your coronary veins and arteries, rather, supply oxygen to your heart. Your heart is a muscle, and if it doesn't get oxygen, the muscle can't work, and you end up with heart failure, and uh, you can't breathe, you're, you're short of breath, and that's exactly what I had. And uh, uh, what they do is, they take different veins from around your body, and arteries, or rather veins, and even one artery, and they bypass uh, the blockages in your heart. I had four blockages. Two were 100% of my main coronary arteries. I don't know how I stayed alive. It had to be God. Even to my aorta, I, it was 65% blocked. In fact, when I went into the hospital uh, for an angiogram on a Monday, by the time they got the reading and everything, it was around 3 o'clock, and they came into my room and showed me the piece of paper and said, we have a room for you, a bed upstairs, and we're going to operate on you tomorrow at 7 o'clock if you say yes. Well, I didn't have time to get scared. But it, it looked pretty serious to me. In fact, it was serious enough they weren't going to let me leave the hospital. But uh, we did the operation the next day, and, and through that, I believe that uh, my life was actually saved. When I was looking at this patient, his heart was just a few feet from my head. And while I looked at that heart, can I tell you, I didn't see any indications of sin or greed or the pride of life or the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh or anger. You can't see that. This was a physical heart, but I suppose it might have been present and really, these are the enemies of the heart that the pastor and Brother Tierney were talking about. They, they were actually doing heart surgery on us while they were teaching us about the enemies of the heart. So I guess you've all been in heart surgery and you didn't even know it. All you had to do was show up, scrub up, and listen up. But these were good lessons if we will take them to heart we will be a blessed people. Did you know that there are people today <clears throat> who believe that all of our feelings and all of our emotions are really a result of chemical actions in the brain? They don't believe in the spiritual. They are materialists. They believe that once you live, this is all there is. You only go around once and you die. 
We're just machines. It's the chemicals that are inside of us, the actions that we do, and our behavior is really due to chemicals. And so if we are just a chemical set, uh, we, there are no morals involved. There, there's no moral basis for any authority outside of ourselves. When we live, we live. And when we die, we die. And if there is no moral basis to life, it leads to lawlessness, which is the kind of world that we're living in today. And man's reasoning then and that kind of thinking is all that there is. Now, even if you can map the, some of these things in your body, that doesn't change the fact that God created us in his image. And there's more to us than just the physical part. There is the spiritual part. As the physical heart pumps blood, without a heart, you die. And a heart uh, in the Bible refers to the spiritual side of you and I. Let's talk a little bit about the blood before I go into that. This Dr. Harvey made quite a few observations. Uh, when you become an adult, you usually have about five, uh, one and a half gallons of blood in your body, five quarts, they say. And you pump those five quarts every minute of your day. In the course of a day, you, have, you usually pump around 2,000 gallons of blood in your body. That's a lot of, that's a lot of blood. Did you know you have 60,000 miles of veins, and capillaries, and arteries in your body? If you would take them out and stretch them around the world, it would go around the world two and a half times. You're a walking world, did you know that? And 2,000 gallons a day, if you had a car that took 25 gallons in its tank, and if you were going to fill it up with that fluid of that blood, it would take 80 tank loads a day to run your body. But a nice thing about it is the Lord lets you, it created us to use the same five quarts over and over. In fact, he even put a filter in there to filter out, filter out all the pollutants, your liver. And uh, at the going rate of $2.10 a gallon, it would cost you over $4,200 a day just to run your blood habit. Isn't God good? He's got it all under control. You're, you're fitly and wonderfully made and created in his image. And uh, can you believe, you don't think about your heart, but it's faithful to you. It's steady. It, it beats without you telling it to beat. In fact, the heart has its own electrical system. You can be brain dead and your heart will still beat. Now that's amazing. Some days I feel brain dead, but my heart keeps on beating. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's steady beat, carrying blood to all of our organs. You know, if we want to be in a, a, a good Christian and a good apostolic, we've got to have a functioning spiritual heart, just like our physical heart, because it affects the whole body. 
Did you know if your brain goes without blood, with oxygen, four minutes, you will probably end up in a fatal condition. It's so vital. And uh, let's talk about, we've talked about the human heart. Oh, we didn't get to the human heart. Next slide. Next slide. Oh, by the way, that patient, he did live. And that's him stretched out. And I visited him before he went home, and he was one happy camper. But he had a lot of work to do because the reason that he was there for a heart surgery is that his heart was broken. And the reason it was broken because he was not putting good things into it. He was putting all the wrong things into it. That's what happened to me. I like cherry pie with ice cream. I like bacon with my fried eggs. I like, I like french fries. I like hamburgers. I like cheeseburgers. All the stuff that your heart can't handle over time. Because what happens is it puts a gummy situation in your arteries and plugs them up and you end up with clogged arteries, blockages. So all you folks are going to steak and shake afterwards. You need to consider what you're putting into your bodies. I've been there. I don't eat cheese anymore. I don't, I don't eat bacon. I hate all the good things, you know, that I thought were so good. We're killing me. And they kill us. And we don't think about it until we end up on our backs. Well, I'm not here to lecture you on how you're eating. But it's food for thought and your heart. All right, let's go to the next two slides. We've already talked about the human heart. Let's go now to the spiritual heart. Uh, now we got it. All right. The human heart, of course, occupies a very important position in your body. But let's, trans, uh, let's, let's transition to the spiritual side for the next uh, remaining time. The word in the Bible, heart, actually stands for the entire understanding, your mental capacity. It also uh, is involved with the, the moral activities, the things that you do right, the things you do wrong. It talks about the rational part or even your emotions. This is all part of your heart. And God deals in our heart. This is not, we think of God touching our heart here, but when he touches our heart, he's touching he touches everything that's really us, that's really you. And really the word heart is used in a figuratively uh, way as the hidden springs of life. The issues of life come out of your thinking and your conduct and your behavior. And according to the moral attributes that you have in your life, it's really your inner man, the real you. We can't see the real you. We see what, we see the physical part, but you know, that's gonna pass someday. You'll step through the veil and watch the real you will go on to meet the Lord for the judgment. And so the heart is a good thing, 
But you know, the Bible talks about the fact that the heart uh, can be full of sin. And, and it's because that's where the sin principle actually has its seat. It's in the center of your inner life and in your inward life. And actually sin can, it can uh, pollute your whole spiritual system just as the blood is pumped uh, from your heart to all elements of the body. In your spiritual sense, if you have sin there, your whole being becomes full of sin. But there is a way to get that sin eradicated out of your life and out of your spirit and it's through the blood of Jesus that he shed at Calvary. And that was not an easy thing for him to do to become our substitute. But he was concerned the fact that his creation had been flawed in the Garden of Eden by Satan. So down through the ages, he has prepared a program of redemption that we might be restored in the spiritual sense in our spiritual heart. I thank the Lord that he looked down upon us and had mercy on us like the song said. And he has suffered long with us, but he has also extended long-suffering and mercy to us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So sin contaminates the whole body, the spirit, the soul, and the body. And that's why if we're going to be a saint, we've got to constantly be on guard of our hearts so that we can live with pure hearts, without contamination, without being contagious. That's why we tell you young folks, you, you hang around with people that will lift you up and be with people that are living right. We're concerned about who you hang out with and the rest of us too. We have to guard ourselves. When you look at that word guard in the original, it says keep your heart for all the issues come out of that heart. They spring forth. Uh, in Germany, where we lived for a number of years, uh, there were all kind of castles over there. In fact, we would be going down the road, and uh, you know, after a while, uh, these castles became commonplace to our kids. And Heidi be in the back reading a, a book or whatever, or, or doing her colors, coloring, and would say, look kids, there's a castle. How many's ever seen a castle in Germany? Ah. Uh -huh. And so it's kind of like this. Oh, yeah. It's a castle. <laughs> it's like the one I saw last week. But every castle has what's called a keep. When the castle is under attack and they break through the outer walls, there is a huge circular construction made out of, out of uh, stone that they can go in and they can bar the door and they go up, up and stand in this, this tall circular building that's called the castle keep. And they can keep themselves safe. We have a strong tower that we can run into. It's the name of the Lord. <laughs> and we can be safe. And we sing about that. His name is a strong tower. Even, how many people play soccer here? Not American football, but soccer. We've got a few hands, a few feet. 
over here. My, my boys played soccer in, in Germany, and uh, you'd always hear somebody cheering for the goalie. He was called the keeper. Why was he called the keeper? Because he guarded the goal box. Come on, keeper. And you better not miss because they would take you apart. But we are told to be keepers, to be guards of our heart because all that's involved in your life, the issues of life, the things of life actually come from our, our thoughts and our uh, what's put there by God. That's why we're told to take heed to his word so that we will not sin against him. And we must constantly guard our hearts. The scripture regards the heart as a place that influences your life. The hidden man, the real person. If I asked for the real person to stand up, well, I couldn't see that person really stand up. I just see the outer shell, which is your body. But the thing that's going to live forever after your body is put in a box and you're buried is your spirit and your soul. That's why it has to be permeated by the, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, which is God's spirit. And if we can keep that in our heart and keep our heart guarded against the enemies above all, we've got to be able to see Jesus in our hearts. I'd like for you to turn with me to some scriptures here in the last few moments. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, verse 35, something that Jesus said, which actually uh, goes along with, with our scripture. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, thank you, a good man out of the treasures of his heart bringeth forth good things. What's in your heart will come out through your mouth. Your mouth is a good inventory of the heart. It will always let us let everyone know really what's down in your heart because these things come forth. The good man out of the treasures of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. What's in your heart today? This word, idle. You know, we're around people that talk all day. Some people, they talk too much, you know. I mean, after a while, you get tired of hearing them. It's yak, 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 yak. And when they get done, what do they do? Yak, 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 yak some more. Isn't that the truth? But... Uh, Actually, an idle word in the original actually talks about the fact that it's unfruitful. It's worthless talk. And there's a lot of worthless talk that goes into our, into our heads every day. In fact, to get into politics, we've really come through a real cycle, a political cycle. A lot of words and stuff floating through the air. Well, let all your words be sweet as my... Uh, as the, grand, the great-grandfather of our pastor used to say, let all your words be sweet because you may have to eat them every now and then. 
in the second, uh, first Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, here are some good things to put into your heart. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. But the greater of these is charity. These are good things that should be coming out of your heart. Faith is something that needs to be in the heart. It's a good thing. And really, this is a conviction that you hold in your heart. And it's, it, it's, it's involved the, your, your relationship to God and to the, the divine things. Because faith can fill the heart. And when your faith is in the heart, it really displaces unbelief. It displaces doubt. It displaces sorrow. If you have faith in God, it will displace grief or help you to carry the grief. And a lot of people today don't have faith. I talk to people all the time who have a real faith deficiency. But the people of God should be full of faith. Faith in God. Faith in each other. Faith in the Word of God. Faith can fill the heart. And it's got to fill the heart. It's a good thing that we can put into the heart. But it's not the best thing, according to the Scripture. It talks about a hope. We can have a hope. It's an expectation of good things. In other words, the hope of His coming. Some days things get so rough, I think, oh, Lord, it will be such a beautiful day when you come back for the church. And you look forward to the, to the coming of the Lord. That's a, a hope that God has placed within us when we have the salvation of God. And salvation is a great hope that has been won for us, a hope for the future. But the greatest of all these three good things is charity. Charity is Christian love. It seeks to do good towards God. It seeks to do good to all people. And it says, the scripture, the scripture says, especially of those of a household of faith. I think that is talking about us tonight. We've got to have love for each other. How will the world know that we're different than other people? Is by the love that we have for one another. It's one of the marks of a disciple, a follower of Christ, is that we have this love that God puts in our hearts for each other. And that is a, a, a beacon of light to the world when they see, come in here and they, they sense the love that we have for each other. Put good things in the heart. Next slide in 1 Timothy 1 and 15. Now the end, and we're nearing the end, of the commandment is charity. And out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith that is unfeigned or is without hypocrisy, these, leads, these things lead to the to the good things of life. It's the springs of life. It's something that we really don't think about the importance of this thing called the real heart that we have to really guard. So if you remember anything that I say here today or in the next few moments in the, in the conclusion, you have a heart to guard. You have a heart to take care of. And no... None of the frivolity of the world, none of the influences of the world should come into our lives to affect us in a negative way. If we keep our hearts full of good things, that's a good thing to, that uh, 
protects us from the things of the world. The end or the result of the commandment or the orders or the words of God is charity out of a pure heart. Is your heart pure? They got a soap called ivory soap. It's not pure. It's 99.9% pure. But I think the Lord's looking for some 100 percenters here tonight. And with the help of God, we can be pure in his sight. Next slide, Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Then let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Lord, let it be. Help us to be guards of our hearts. In 1 Peter 1.22, the result of purifying and careful living, careful speaking and doing the right thing, seeing you have purified your hearts in obeying the truth. You, you purify your hearts by obeying the truth. Not just reading the truth and, and understanding what it is, but we've got to be doers of the word as well. We can sit in a chair and say, uh-huh, yeah, that's right, that's right. But it's not until we get up and apply it to our life does it become effective. We've got to work on purifying ourselves. And how do we do it? In, in, through obeying the truth, through the spirit, through unfeigned love of the brethren. Well, that is a generic term sisters and so that involves all of us okay see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently not being cool but to be warm and compassionate hello all right how to keep your heart guard your heart Ephesians 1 18 the eyes of your heart and understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. How many know that Jesus is coming back for his church? He's coming back for those without spot, without blemish. And it be, it, it, it's really important for us to keep our hearts clean from the world. And what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? Well, we got to keep our hearts stayed on Jesus. You have a very valuable position in God's kingdom. I look at you young folks and you got your whole lives ahead of you. Well, this would be a good time to do the right things all the time. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, in Deuteronomy, I'm going to close here, but in I just thought about Deuteronomy here for a minute. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. I'm not talking about this, the pump. I'm talking about the heart. All right. That's the real you. Lord, help us. You know, God had a special covenant with the children of Israel. They didn't always do what they were supposed to, but he gave them commandments. He gave them the word of God. They went out into uh, 
to the wilderness for 40 years. And there was a reason they went out in the wilderness. It says here, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Three things, four things. To humble thee, to prove you, and to know what was in your heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or not. You know, the Lord has a way uh, to bring us back to where we should be. He can cause things to come our way to, when we get sidetracked. For instance, he said, I humbled you, I suffered you to hunger, I fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might know, make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And that's how we'll live. That's how we can guard our hearts is by having the Word of God in our hearts. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. He, he is our role model. He is who has shown us the way. And uh, he has become our God and our Savior. But we've got to keep our eyes on him. Look to Jesus. Let's lift our hands here just Jesus. for a moment. Lord, we thank you right now for your word about our hearts. We pray, Lord, for every individual that's here tonight, that our hearts would be open to you and to your word. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us according to your word, that you would touch us in the deep inner recesses of our heart, our inner man, our real self, and purify us, Lord, so that when you come, we will be ready to meet you. Bless us here tonight, we pray. We Hear give you tonight, thanks, Lord. Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Open Hallelujah. the eyes of my heart, Lord. And open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you.